Good evening. Are you guys enjoying the film? Yeah. It's good stuff. I am. A lot, actually. I love Christmas time. You know, one of my, one of my favorite things about Christmas is the singing, Christmas carols. In fact, one of my idols... Buddy the Elf. Yeah. He once said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. You know, one of my favorite Christmas songs is actually one that tells me a part of God's character that brings me the most comfort. You see, one of the things I never was told, and I don't know if it was my upbringing or if I just like missed it, but one of the things I was never told as a student, like many of you are, is how lonely life is. Have you ever experienced loneliness before? Yeah. Loneliness is this incredibly human experience that we go through where we feel as though, and, 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 and it's such a strong feeling, that it's impossible to not accept it to be true. That when we're alone, we feel as though there is nobody who knows how that feels. Like when we're feeling lonely, as I, I, I can't even imagine <clears throat> what the last year and a half, almost two years has been like for you as a student in some of the most formative years of your entire life to be alone. Do you remember that year? where the world shut down and school for many of us happened from home on a computer, how lonely that was? Where your sports teams were, were shut down and the seasons were postponed, where your extracurricular activities, places where you found such community and friendship with your peers were no longer existent for, for many of us. About 16 months, some of us, things still don't feel normal. The thing about loneliness is, it's, it's, it's something that every single one of us will face. Every person in this room has felt lonely if they're in touch with their emotions. And here's what I find so beautiful about the character of God is that he knows. He knows. So we kind of kicked things off last night. We talked about how when it comes to the sin in our lives, God sees, God knows, and God loves. He sees, he knows, and he loves. And he did something about it. The same thing is true with our loneliness. That's why at Christmas time we sing, we sing this song. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. I can't sing, but I love that song enough to try. Do you know what those words mean? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You didn't think we'd be talking about Christmas time, but it's just around the corner, so it's worth it. The snow on the drive up reminded me of that. Here's what that word Emmanuel means. The word Emmanuel is a name given to Jesus that quite literally means God with us. God with us. And if it's okay with you tonight, I would love to talk about what that means so that you can walk out of this chapel knowing that for the rest of your days, 
If you've given your life over to Jesus, you're never alone. Because we quite literally believe in a God who promises to be with us. Would you pray with me one more time? Let's pray. God, thank you for your nature and for your character. It's so complex and so beautiful, yet so simple. It connects with us right where we are. And tonight, God, as we unpack what it means that that you're with us, would you help our hearts and our minds and our souls to be awakened to the revelation that you're not a God who's seated 18 million miles away. Rather, you're a God who dwells within 18 inches of our minds, right in our hearts. That's what your scripture teaches. We love you so much. Pray that you would reveal these things to us tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So when we talk about God and the relationship that we have with him, in order to understand this concept of God with us, you need to know this about God. He is purposeful. And so in our salvation, once again, humongous shout out to all of you who joined the family of God last night. That is an incredibly beautiful thing, and I will not quit celebrating. Here's what you need to know for all of us who are in Christ. You need to know that God has saved you from something to something. He saved us from something to something. The thing that God has saved us from is our sinful separation dead state. And the thing that he has saved us to is a beautiful eternal relationship that starts now and transcends this side of reality. When our heart stops beating and there's no more breath in our lungs, we get to continue on in this relationship with God for all of eternity. You're saved from something to something. I I think of it this way. I've shared the last couple nights about a little one in my life who's incredibly special to me. And and to be honest, her story is one of those things that has taught me some of the deepest lessons I've learned about God in adopting my daughter. And as I shared last night on July 13th, 2018, we had the chance to adopt her, but you have to know that was just the beginning of the story. It wasn't like we adopted her and then she just like, you know, faded off into obscurity out of our lives. No, she got adopted by us And on that day, sitting in the courtroom, I heard the judge say with my very own ears, and I watched the words come out of her mouth with my very own eyes where she said, her name from this point forward will be Maylie Grace Fenn. And she is yours, thank you. And she is yours as if she was born unto you. That's adoption. And scripture talks about our relationship with God using the very same language. You have been adopted by God. You have been saved from something to something. And the thing that you have been saved to is a relationship with God. The Israelites are learning the the implications of this as God delivers them from slavery and oppression in Egypt to the promised land. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13, and I'll, I'll share this with you. It's so awesome. I love this. It says this. Remember, Genesis, Exodus, second book of your Bible, chapter 13, 
We're going to start at verse 17. And it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people. There's a whole sermon there. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, here's the, here's the deal. Here's the little truth there. You now have a relationship with God, and there's going to be times where life seems hard. And you know what? Life is hard. We all just agreed and accepted the fact that loneliness is something we experience, right? That speaks to the hardness of life. And there are times in life where God takes us on the long road because the short road, although seemingly easier, doesn't produce in us the character that God desires. And so God could have taken them on the short road, but he knew if he gave them a road that faced less challenges, when things got hard, they may have run back to Egypt and put the shackles back on their own hands and feet and said, we can't do this journey. And so God said, I'm going to take them on the long road through the desert because it's there that they'll learn what it means to be with me. Are you tracking with me? This is life. This is going to be every single person in this room's reality. Why does this seem so long and so difficult? But here's the truth that we're about to see in Exodus that you can never forget. You're never alone. In fact, if we miss his presence, we quite literally miss the point of all of this. If we miss the presence, we miss the point. Look at what it says here. It says if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkot, they camped at Itham on the edge of the desert. Right here. Ready? Verse 21 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God saved them from something, and he's actively saving them to something, and along that entire journey, he resolved to be with them, guiding them, giving them strength, giving them clarity, and giving them comfort all along the way. All along the way. In, in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the scriptures talk about this exact principle. I'll read this one for you. If you'd like to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read this for you. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. It says, What agreement is there between the temple of God and of idols? For we are the temple of the living God. All right, pause. So what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth is he's trying to reveal to them this principle that in the old days, as God was delivering the people out of Egypt, and as the Israelites established their place in Jerusalem, the place that God promised to them, 
They had a tent, which eventually turned into a temple, and it was in this place where the dwelling place of God resided. We saw this depicted on the film. He said, I want you to build me a tent, a tabernacle. Well, why do you need that? I don't need anything, but you need it. You need to be reminded of my presence with you. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, hey, that tabernacle, that tent, that dwelling place of God, guess what that is now? It's in your heart. It's it's in here. Which means like, your church is just a building. God is not there. This camp is just about 430 acres in the middle of the woods. God is not here. But you know where God is? He resides within his people. That's where God is. And so Paul says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He goes on to say, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Verse 18, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul teaches us two crucial truths about God's character in here that lines up perfectly with where the Israelites are on their journey out of Egypt. The first thing he says is, I will make my dwelling place among my people. Now I've said this a few times, but I wanna reiterate it for clarity's sake. God resides with his people. Now you might be going, I don't understand that. Why do I feel alone? You just had me raise my hand if I said I felt lonely, and and if I feel lonely, isn't that evidence that God isn't with me? No, all that simply means is you've forgotten. You've forgotten that God dwells with you. I think sometimes in our flesh, in our frailty, in our weaknesses, we think that because we make a mistake, God leaves us. No, you have security. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you so much, we talked about this last night, that he gave his son Jesus. And upon giving you his son Jesus, he says, for anyone who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, what does he say? He says, they will be saved. Now we see this incredible thing play out in the New Testament where in Acts chapter two, uh, upon the teaching of the gospel, that message that I just reminded you of, the spirit of God comes down and begins to dwell among the people. The Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus is and is as much God as the Father is. As Christians, we believe in this concept called the Trinity. That is God's nature exists in three separate and distinct persons who make up the eternal God. Now, this is like way deep into the pool, but here's the takeaway for you. The Holy Spirit dwells among God's people. Now that should bring us great comfort knowing that I am never alone. Jesus reiterates this promise in the book of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's called the Great Commission. He says, go and therefore make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and he says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
The promise of God is to fill us with his spirit and to dwell with us always to the very end of the age. That's the first big takeaway from this passage. The second is, he says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What does this mean? Quite literally what this means for us is that we have a father who promises to be with us forever. Now, I understand that at the word father, there could be some of us in this room that cringe because of what fathers have done. But I want you to understand that God the Father is unlike any other earthly father. Even the best dad in the world, God is still better than that dad because God is the embodiment of love, 1 John 4.8 tells us. 1 John 4.8 says that God is love. And so if God takes on the name Father, that means this Father is the Father of love, which means we are children of the Father who is known as love. That gives you inheritance. That makes you an heir. That gives you privilege. Again, the, the whole idea we're unpacking tonight is the fact that you're never alone, that God dwells with us. We see this promise come to fulfillment yet again in the, in the book of Matthew chapter one. In Matthew chapter one, and here's something really interesting. If you open up to Matthew chapter one right now, you're likely gonna see a blank page on the left of it. Somewhere in there, you're gonna see the words New Testament. Now, what the word testament means is it's a a testimony about God. We have an Old Testament, things that happened long ago, and we have a New Testament, things that happened a while ago. Two testimonies about who God is. Where Matthew picks up comes after 400 years known as the intertestamental time. We're going way deep tonight, but I promise there's a purpose. 400 years where God has been silent. It almost worked. 400 years where God had been silent. We're so close. 400 years where God was completely quiet. That was good. Now this 400, okay, yeah, clap for yourselves, great. Uh, We're setting the bar high. High bars, high bars only. By the way, if at any point tonight you have questions, just ask your counselors. They'll answer everything for you, okay? All right, so 400 years where God goes quiet, 400 years where God has been silent as a way of teaching Israel a lesson because of their disobedience. After 400 years, we see this happen. Ooh, it gets exciting and it changes everything. So after 400 years, we see this happen. Matthew chapter 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. You've got to understand something about these words. If you've ever waited patiently for something, I am still waiting 11 months and 19 days later for a PlayStation 5. I'm waiting. Like, I'm online. I refuse to pay, like, markup value. I'm big in the sneaker game, and I'm not playing that game with my PlayStation. I want it at retail. You know what I'm saying? Like what's something you've waited for? Maybe you wanted a puppy. Maybe you wanted a sibling. Maybe you can't wait to be an adult and have a car and a job, whatever it is. You don't know patience. You don't know patience like the people of God waiting on one of his promises to be fulfilled. For 400 years, 
Jewish men and women, Jewish boys and girls would go to bed praying and wake up praying, maybe this is the day where the Savior will come. For 400 years, they waited for that one that would come, that would right the wrongs in the world, that would provide a way for them to be delivered from their sins, that would provide a way for them to be in relationship with God in the same way their ancestors were for 400 years. And then these words come. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. This is a fulfillment of a promise. It says his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the, to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus has power. The name of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. The name of Jesus gives us hope that God's not dead, but he's alive, and he's constantly redeeming things back to himself, restoring order that sin has caused chaos about. And so this is like, this is like the, the, the new day dawning after the darkest of nights for the children of Israel. And then it says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Jesus. <laughs> you tried to Sunday school answer me. It says, and they will call him Emmanuel. There's our word. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Do you know the next verse? And ransom captive is. Cap captive to what? Captive to what? To sin. Captive to sin. This is the promise of God. We're getting squirrely here. I, I apologize if it's, if it's my fault, but I would appreciate your attention, okay? Because it says this in God's word, that Jesus comes to ransom people who are held captive to their sin. That, that, that the name of Jesus in this context, the word Emmanuel, quite literally means God is with us. For the Israelites being led out of Egypt, it looked very similar to our friends being led out of Copperhead. Except instead of a tornado and like a fire pillar or whatever, like it was kind of a fire pillar, it says it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and it was that way so that at night they could see where they were going. We get to the New Testament, and the promise of Jesus is to be with his people. Jesus dies on Calvary, and the most intense, incredible thing happens in the temple. What did I tell you about the temple earlier? The temple represents the dwelling place of God. And upon Jesus' crucifixion, there's this gigantic 12 to 15 foot tall curtain that tears down the middle from top 
to bottom, signifying the fact that God's dwelling place is now with his people. My friends, you're never alone. It's part of God's character to be with his people. And this promise of God to not depart from his people is a promise that comes over 330 times through the Old Testament prophets over a span of about a thousand years. If God has the character that I've been trying to promise you he has this week, and he makes the same promise 330 times, I think it's safe to say God is going to deliver on that promise. And he has. You might be asking yourself, how has God delivered on this promise? Well, it tells us this in John chapter 14. In John 14, Jesus tells us exactly how God will deliver on this promise. Look at verse 15 through 17 with me. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, live as, live as I live. If you love me, follow me. Jesus says it another way in the book of Luke chapter nine, verse 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily to follow me. Jesus says, hey, if you love me, obey my commandments, and then you wanna know what's gonna happen when you give your life to me? Well, when you put your faith in me, when you trust my ability to make dead things alive again, do you wanna know what happens? I'm gonna be with you forever. That means no more loneliness. That quite literally means that there's never a waking moment where you are alone. You may feel alone, but it's because in your mind you've forgotten that God resides in our hearts. God resides in our hearts. And then he says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him for he lives with, there's our word again, you and he will be in you. Gosh, the love of God. The love of God. God doesn't just save you to rack up some heavenly quota of people he's rescued. No, God saves you from something to something. To use the language that we talked about in Ephesians last night, God saves us from the dominion of darkness and rescues us into his kingdom of light. God desires to have a relationship with each and every single one of us, and it's not just something he promised, it's something he promised and delivered on through Jesus, and ultimately the fulfillment, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Another way to say this is that if you've given your life to Jesus, he fills you with his spirit so that you're never alone. He's present with you. And I understand that this is incredibly hard for us to believe because we all feel lonely and have been let down, but you have to understand this about the promises of God. The promises of God do not depend upon your belief. They are true whether or not you believe in them. This is why God says that I bring you the spirit of truth. I think of it this way. When my oldest son was a little guy, smartphones had just become popular. That's how old I am. I know you can't see it from there, but I have some gray in my beard. It's new this year. I kind of like it, though. I like it because my wife says she likes it, and that's enough for me. But when I was a younger man, my wife and I went on our honeymoon and came home, 
and found out we were having a baby. Nine months and one day after our wedding night, I became a father at 22 years old. Don't clap for that. No. To be honest, to be honest, you clapping at that makes me feel like you're teasing me, and I don't like being teased, all right? Well, now you know where the gray comes from. So, I am really that old. <laughs> That's our takeaway tonight. He's old. I had no idea. Uh, not the point at all. Here's the point. When my son was a little guy, smartphones had just come out. And I mean, what a world to be captivated by. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't need to print things off MapQuest. What is happening? This is amazing. And so I kind of got enamored on my phone. And it was at the same time that my little guy was able to talk. And I remember one day distinctly, because I decided something's got to change in my behavior after this interaction. But I was walking down the hallway of our house. And I was on my phone, and my son goes, hey, Dad. And I go, yeah. And he goes, hey, Dad. And I go, yeah. And he goes, Dad. And he pulls at my pant leg. And I go, I'm listening. And he goes, Dad, I don't want you to listen. I want your eyes. And I was like, here they are. <laughs> like, oh, what a moment as a parent. And so I got down on my knee and I said, what do you need, buddy? And he goes, Dad, I need a new diaper. And I was like, oh my gosh, why did I look at you in the first place? What's going on here? I think sometimes we approach God in that way. Not because we have diapers or because he's on his cell phone. Not the point at all. Here, here's the illustration. Sometimes we forget that we can go to God. Sometimes we forget that we can go to God and he's with us all the time because humans let us down. Our parents will let us down. Our friends will let us down. Our pastors and leaders, teachers will let us down. Now, oftentimes they don't mean to. They're human just as much as you are. But because we feel let down, we, we, we hurt. We have pain. We have trauma in our lives. And what that pain and that trauma does is it tells us to turn away and to not trust. But here's the thing about the character of God. He promises to be with you. He's given you his spirit. He's fulfilled that promise. We can trust that God is with us. You're never alone. In fact, if you miss his presence, you miss the point. There's this verse in Psalms chapter 16 that I think concludes everything that I've been trying to say tonight. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, I'm gonna turn here and I'm gonna read this to you guys. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it tells us this about the presence of God. It says, you make known to me the path of life. Close your eyes for a second. Let me, let me just speak this over you like a blessing. And if this is a blessing you wanna receive after, after learning or being reminded tonight that God wants to dwell with his people, I, I want you to hold your hands out as if you're receiving a gift from God. I want to read this psalm over you. And if this is a truth that you want to receive yourself this evening, I want you to hold your hands out because it says this. It says, God, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God's word tells us that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And tonight, maybe there are some of us in this room who need to be reminded that not only are you never alone, but in God's presence is found the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. We will spend so much of our lives seeking to find fulfillment and joy. And what God's word tells us affirms his good character and his good nature in that simple truth that you're never alone 
And it's only in his presence that we can find and experience the fullness of joy. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for the hearts and the attention and the minds of everyone here in this room. God, I pray as we wrap up and conclude our time together that you would reveal to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, that your, that your word says dwells in our hearts, that we're never alone. That God, we have the ability to, to be with you always to the very end of the age. And you, Father, love us enough to secure that relationship. Help us to believe this truth about your character. In the same way you're holy, in the same way you're a God of justice, in the same way you are a God who is the embodiment of love, you are also a God, it's true in your character, who loves to dwell with his people. We love you, and we thank you for that truth tonight. It's in your name we pray, amen.